In this episode of this, yeah, I screwed it up already. I had, why didn't this change? It still has in this episode of Smart Shift. It has Common Lake on there for some reason. That would totally be wrong. Okay, here we go. I can't answer those questions, buddy. <laughs> yeah. You... Okay, here we go. In this episode, of, uh, okay. In this episode of the Full Nerd. Why am I doing this wrong? It really is Friday. In this episode of The Full Nerd, AMD Smart Shift and special guest Frank Azor. Welcome to The Full Nerd. God, I'm, I'm just like really off today. I was up to late. Nervous it's, it's a special know, edition. It's this one's Frank. not numbered. All right. Welcome to... Uh, okay. We're going to get this right because Adam's going to cut this off. Welcome to a special edition of The Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gord Maung, with co-host Brad Charkas. Hey, Internet. Special guest. I want to get the, archi- I want to get the title right. Chief Ar- Architect of Gaming Solutions, Frank Azor. Hey, guys. From AMD. From AMD. <laughs> I did leave that important part off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I do apologize. And Adam Patrick Murray is going to edit all this messy stuff out, hopefully. I, you know, that, that's my job. It's, it's job security. Uh, but Frank, you're, I... You're, you're I, a wizard. <laughs> no, I have, uh, I, I have a question for you. Uh, a recent study uh, from OnlineGambling.com did, a, uh, did a, a big study about uh, all the different online gaming platforms uh, and which platform cussed the most. Uh, and PC gaming is is ahead. They they swear the most. Um, can can you confirm this? Uh, well, now I know uh, why I'm always cursing. It's because I've been living in this uh, environment for so for so many years that uh, I'm a byproduct of it. But yeah, I guess that explains everything. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can you can catch a few articles out there of me cursing in them, and I always kind of scratch my head and say, where the hell did that come from? But now I know. <laughs> it's PC Thanks gaming. That, PC gaming did it to you. Uh, it's okay. I'm proud of it. That's fine. I'm proud of my PC gaming friends. I know. I I do swear a lot. I get banned a lot. I don't believe that survey at all. One hundred. I think <laughs> it's simply anybody who plays competitively, or in their mind, they're playing competitively. Competitively, even though it's a pickup game in the park, you you get really into it. I I've heard plenty of fourteen year old streams on Xbox, so I I think I understand what uh, it's not just the PC. Yeah, I think they were just watching interviews of you, me, Brad, and then they figured, oh, this is a proxy for the entire <laughs> industry, so these guys are all messed up. They're all swearing <laughs> all of the time. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I, since you're here, I and we are sort of seeing the first uh, laptop with, uh, I mean, I keep wanting to call it something else, uh, <laughs> Smart Shift. What the... Uh, what can you tell us about this technology? You wrote a blog about it. You said that basically it's going to be game changing for laptops. Is yeah, it? It, I mean, on its own, SmartShift itself is not going to be like this massive revolutionary game changer. But what is is what we're trying to do at AMD, which is take advantage of the fact that we have CPUs, we have high performance CPUs that are great for uh, enthusiasts and gamers. We have our graphics cards high performance and getting even higher performance with every new generation. We're really committed to winning in graphics. We still have some more work to do, but we're making some strong progress. And then we have a really good set of uh, other technologies like FreeSync and these software technologies like Boost and Radeon Image Sharpening and Link. And we're looking at how we can combine all of those things, all of those assets to deliver a better laptop, a better desktop, and maybe even other form factors. 
And what SmartShift is, is it's just the first of a bunch of different technologies that we're working on that starts to demonstrate what's possible when you can take our CPU and our graphics chip, you can have them communicate directly with one another through the Infinity Fabric and what kind of a result we're able to get in terms of a performance uplift from that. So what's, what is really, I would say, disruptive about SmartShift is the simplest way to explain it to people. It's not 100% technically accurate. So half of your audience is going to attack me for this. But when my 10-year-old asks me, what the heck is that thing? I tell them it's like you pay for an R7 CPU, but it can boost up to operate like an R9 when you have a CPU-intensive workload. And you pay for like a 5600M graphics card and it boosts up like a 5700M would perform um, in, a, in a graphics uh, or a rendering intensive workload. And you get that for free. You, otherwise, I mean, how, you have to typically spend 100, 200 bucks to buy that next tier of CPU or graphics card. Um, you don't have to do that with SmartShift. So when you look at like the pricing of this new Dell system that's out there and you say, hey, it's comparable in performance to like, a 2060 or a 2070 and to an i7 and an i9. And those configurations are $1,400, $1,500. And this thing's selling for like sub $1,000. People are like, does not compute. How is this possible? And it's because SmartShift comes in and it gives you that boosting ability that makes it emulate almost those components in terms of their performance, but with a lower uh, set of components that are much more affordable. Uh, You know, I think your blog sort of says about 14%. Across a range of games. Yeah, I mean, you know. It varies. It varies, varies, of course. We're going to go with the best number that we've ever seen. So the best case scenario is 14%. Um, You know, on average, you're going to see about 5 to 10% in the majority of games that are out there. Uh, There are some very rare occasions um, where uh, uh, you may actually get a slight performance detriment, but we're like in the single digits. Um, And uh, we continue to uh, learn from that and optimize it so that it gets even better. Um, but the results are pretty negligible on the negative, but they're pretty considerable on the positive. And that's because maybe the, you know, uh, it's shifting to the CPU instead of the GPU and it should have shifted to the GPU and that's intelligence you'll add to it as, as you learn. I wouldn't say that it's, it sh- it's not that it should have or shouldn't have shifted. It's some games are, um, uh, a little bit more uh, CPU intensive, for example, than GPU intensive. And we shift within two milliseconds on average and, and one millisecond. But when you're shifting, you, you're, star, you're, you're not starving, but you are depleting TDP from one of the two components. It's like a seesaw that's kind of going up. And even though the seesaw shifts really, really rapidly, it's still going to be a less um, uh, performant uh, solution than if I had a 2070 and a 99, for example, or an R9 and a 5700 uh, XT. There's nothing free. Um, it, I mean, it is virtually free, but there's always a little bit of a compromise. So because of that, you're not able to get 100% of that benefit, but in significant majority of the titles, you are. But then on occasion, once you set that expectation of like, oh, I'm supposed to perform at this level, as soon as you run into anything that doesn't, you think that's a negative performance, but it's not. It's just, it's not. A, you're not able to boost everything 100%. You're, you're able to boost, I'd say, I mean, we haven't tested thousands of games, so we have tested... Uh, about 50 or so 90% of them I think are, are getting boosted out of a uh, smart shift. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big benefit. Okay. Uh, I have a question. I have a quick question. Uh, so we're talking about games, the smart shift only work with games or does that work with other kinds of applications as well? We, the interesting thing about smart shift is that it's not, it doesn't really, it's not 
aware necessarily of what you're running in the tech in the context of this is this executable, which is one of the biggest differences between SmartShift and other solutions that are out there. Um, the other solutions are really built upon a whitelist that says, oh, okay, this game's executable is going to run on discrete and this executable is going to run on CPU. SmartShift just looks at kind of the demand of the workload and then it shifts TDP immediately based on that demand. Um, so it works on content creation applications. It works on anything and we don't have any, we don't need any ISV dependency or integration. So it didn't require a massive uh, collaboration with uh, the operating system or with any software partners or vendors out there because it's fundamentally at the hardware level in how the CPU and the GPU are architected. And all these problems were solved back when AMD integrated um, discrete graphics into the CPU to form the first integrated graphics APUs out there, high-performance ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we just kind of, and I can't take any credit for this, all this preceded me coming to AMD, but the architects and the engineers thought to themselves, hey, why don't we do that to the discrete graphics and put all that intelligence in the discrete graphics and let them communicate with one another at a hardware level. And that's what SmartShift is basically enabling. It's an extension of those integrated graphics, uh, intellectual property and, and architecture to discrete graphics. Awesome. Yeah, and I haven't actually seen this the new the Dell laptop. We should give Dell a shout out. It's the G five fifteen SE. I think is the is the yeah. full model name. I haven't we seen that. Mix in a lot of letters, numbers. Yeah, a real <laughs> big alphanumeric model number there. <laughs> I was I was really like G five fifteen. Okay, and then SE. But yeah, well, don't worry. We call it the G fifteen five SE. We 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 butchered that name left and right. But so don't worry about it. Everyone knows what we're referring to, though. <laughs> so I haven't seen it, but Hot Hardware. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out. Hot Hardware actually did a review of it already. So you know, I know people don't always trust what you're gonna get from from vendors, but Hot Hardware has done some testing on it, and they're actually seeing definitely in the range of twenty sixty to twenty seventy on the from a Radeon RX fifty six hundred M. I was actually pretty surprised because I, you know, when I went down to AMD, I thought it was like, I was giving the impression that uh, SmartShift would sort of push the 5600 to be more competitive with like a, a 16, 1660, maybe a, a 1650 Ti kind of in that range. But you're running with the 2016, 2070. I, I was really surprised. Is that, I mean, to yeah, me we, we were honestly a little bit surprised ourselves. Um, when we, when we were planning that product, because, you know, I was actually, I've been on both ends of this, which is interesting, right? I was the customer of AMD for this product back when I was at Dell. Um, and when we added it to the roadmap, we were actually expecting 1660 Ti class of performance that would boost up to 2060. Um, but the uh, the engineering teams did an incredible job of optimizing the heck out of the architecture. And it actually got up to about 2060 on average, um, boosting up to some 2070 uh, uh, comparisons. Um, there are, on a rare number of occasions, just some games that are uh, much more CPU intensive. So it actually performs graphically a little bit more like a 1660 Ti. Uh, but that's much, that's the minimum. Um, on average, the majority of them are 2060 compares. And then you get your bookends of a little bit of 1660 Ti compare and a little bit of 2070 compare. And that's, that's smart shift in action. That's how you know it's working because it's working efficiently at shifting between the CPU and the GPU. And if that game has more CPU workload, then you're going to get a little bit less of the graphics. And if it's a much more graphics-intensive game, you're, you tend to get more of the 2070 class of performance comparison. Um, so it's, it's more of a fluid architecture in terms of where the performance is going to be resulted, uh, where you're going to get the result of the performance. But, I mean, what's incredible is Dell went with um, 
one graphics card configuration on that machine, 5600M for everybody. So whether you get the R5 or the R7 configuration, uh, you're getting 5600M. And we all know that the gaming performance doesn't change that drastically when the CPU changes, especially not between two really high-performance CPUs like the R5 and the R7. So for, I mean, their starting at price point on this machine is 879. And it's got an R5, 8 gigs of memory, 256 gig SSD, um, and it has a 5600M, and you're outperforming 2060s and in some cases 2070s out there. Those systems cost well over $1,000. A lot more. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a game changer in that regard. And again, by and large, SmartShift is kind of a free implementation. You have to do a shared thermal design. That costs a little bit more money in copper. And uh, some VREG, some voltage regulator consideration to make sure that the power can shift efficiently between the two. And that's about it. It's a few dollars. Um, and uh, you're, you're, it's a couple bucks that you're spending and you're getting hundreds of dollars worth of performance out of it. That's why it's a game changer. That's why it's, it's so relevant for us. But it's only one thing. Like the whole strategy doesn't rely on SmartShift. That's just one of a long roadmap that we're building here of different AMD CPU, AMD GPU, AMD software and technology integration opportunities that are going to make computing much, much better moving forward without having to throw a ton of money at it because we're just leveraging the fact that we're all under the same company. So I have a question. Go ahead, Brian. So, so yeah, you bring up the point uh, that this relies on AMD CPU, AMD GPU, AMD, everything inside can give you this, you know, really exceptional, I think, looking at hard, hot hardware review performance out of a very affordable laptop. Uh, I think when SmartShift was announced and Ryzen 4000 Mobile was announced at CES, uh, you guys said there were going to be like 90 or so laptops this year that have Ryzen inside. And you guys also announced uh, the Radeon chips at the same time. But I believe this is the first laptop we've seen with a mobile uh, Navi part in it. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Are we, are we expecting to see many more of these? Is it just a delay from the coronavirus? Uh, what's going on? So... Uh, let me clarify some of those announcements. So okay. we're, we're going to see over 100 Ryzen notebooks this year. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of those are not going to be uh, gaming notebooks. Yeah. You know, just okay. the way the market is, is set up. You know, I think gaming notebooks account probably for 20%, maybe 15, 20% of the volume of systems that are out there okay. of offerings. Um, so the vast majority of those will be um, you know, your, your, your mainstream 15-watt uh, notebooks that are, that are coming. Uh, you're going to see um, certainly uh, somewhere between five and ten um, different Ryzen offerings on, in the gaming space this year, uh, mm-hmm. which is a considerable improvement from from last year yeah. when we had Ryzen 3000. Um, so the market's very quickly warming up to to the processor, uh, but we had to prove ourselves, right? People saw Matisse launch. They saw the the desktop Ryzen 3000 launch in July and and everyone woke up and said, whoa, this is really impressive. They probably can pull it off in mobile. Why don't we lean in a little bit on some of our designs on the mobile side? Because we know how this stuff works. They put power efficiency in the desktop part and then it trickles down into the mobile space. But AMD's battery life has never really been that good. So we're going to lean in a little bit. We're going to tiptoe a little bit into mobile. Then we launched, we announced Ryzen at, at CES, and mm-hmm. people are like, ooh, thank God I leaned in a little bit here on this stuff. <laughs> I'm glad I did. Um, maybe we should consider putting more products. But the problem with notebooks is they take about 9 to 12 months to develop. So yep. you, you get, once the realization's occurring that this is real, this is light, you know, leaps and bounds better 
than uh, than what we were thinking or what we had seen before, you don't see the output of that until three quarters, four quarters later. And that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with right now. For the folks that tiptoed in, like Dell and MSI, MSI has a product called the Bravo. They have a 15 and 17 inch version of it. They have some of the Navi 10 uh, graphics in there already. Um, uh, obviously, we have the Dell uh, notebook now as well. Alienware actually put some uh, Radeon graphics inside there, 15 and 17. So you can find some Navi 10 graphics in there. And you're going to see um, more gaming notebooks trickle out now um, throughout the rest of the year. But it's still a handful. If you think of, I don't know how many gaming notebooks totally exist out there, maybe 100 SKUs, 150 SKUs. Mm-hmm. We're going to have somewhere between 5 and 10. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do. But I empathize with the OEMs because that was just there 10 months ago. You know, it, it's, it's hard to make a huge bet on AMD when you hadn't seen the mobile bet performance and battery life. But now that everyone sees it, and our battery life, I mean, you guys have seen those numbers, right? The battery life of Ryzen 4000 is unbelievable. Uh, the team yeah. almost like overcorrected on it <laughs> because of how much of a, a perception there was that, and the reality that it wasn't competitive before. Now the market's really like, how quickly can we crank out uh, Ryzen 4000 notebooks? We want to we do a lot more gaming SKUs. But COVID introduced to some complexities as well. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. delayed the supply chain. And... I think everybody in all businesses are looking at how do they insure their business for the uncertainty of COVID. And uh, that's forcing everybody to have to make some tough decisions around, uh, you know, how many platforms they're going to offer, how much new work they're going to take on uh, because there is a fair amount of uncertainty. But I'm seeing that that's starting to resolve itself, uh, especially in what we do. Um, PC demand is really strong. Um, We've seen really strong demand as well. Uh, we've shared that in our in our in our earnings reports, and I think yesterday you saw one of our competitors reveal their earnings, and they've seen really strong PC and gaming demand as well. So, I think what the OEMs are 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 going to real are coming to the realization of is, hey, some per, some caution is wise, and it's really smart, and that's how companies are, are survive. But uh, this situation has actually um, been more favorable for the PC industry than it's been uh, detrimental, and we're mm-hmm. going to. A, a very, very quick ramp of more Ryzen and Radeon uh, notebooks here um, in in, uh, in 2021. Awesome. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like even going back to desktop Ryzen, like the first gen, it was getting your foot in the door and saying, hey, look, you know, we are competitive with Intel. That's what first gen Ryzen was. And then second gen is when you started seeing it more in desktops, not just DIY. So it makes sense if you think about this being, it's not the first gen mobile laptop part but it's the equivalent this is the first time where they're really like you you guys are like amd is equivalent better in in some cases than intel Mm -hmm. in laptops so now you know just got to wait for the systems to come out that makes sense it takes takes a while you you can't i don't blame the oems i was like i said i i was in their same exact position it's one of those it's a hard decision right like it's expensive up, too. It's, that's what I was going to say. And, and it, there's not a lot of leverage electrically. There's there's some leverage mechanically between uh, you know a competing uh, architecture in a notebook and a, and a, an R architecture in a notebook, but you can't leverage the motherboard design. It's a whole different motherboard design. Um, <laughs> you have to relay out the thermals as well when you do that because the silicon's placed differently. Um, the validations, except for some of the mechanical validation, the, everything else electrically is you start from scratch on a new motherboard. So, you know, it's, it's a big commitment for an OEM to, to design any architecture, um, you know, ours or a competitors. And I don't blame them for 
tiptoeing into what they've done. But th- those that did tiptoe, they're reaping the rewards now. Uh, I mean, that Asus G14, I, you guys saw that, right? I mean, yeah. Asus went big with us on that. Right. And what an incredible product. They're reaping the rewards. Dell's now going to reap the rewards with the G5 15SE. Um, and then a few of those that leaned in. But, you know, it's like anything. Oftentimes in history, there's been times where people have tiptoed with other companies as well, and it hasn't gone their way. So mm-hmm. yeah. to manage it. It's understandable. I, so I have a question um, <clears throat> because, you know, obviously AMD is, is sort of getting back into laptops. It hasn't been fully accepted in the past. As an OEM, your perspective as a previous, as a previous life, you worked obviously uh, for Alienware and, and, and Dell. Isn't it? Can you tell us, are people going to just go, well, we're just going to take our existing mechanical Intel NVIDIA design and we're just going to drop AMD into it. And I kind of wonder if that's a little bit of a mistake and almost, you know, you really don't want to get the, you know, the second leftovers from Intel and NVIDIA. And also the thermals for Intel parts have been really like off the charts lately. And like the G14, I think it felt like a purpose design laptop around the thermals and power of, of what you could do with Ryzen. Um, I just wonder, are we going to see OEMs just simply take existing designs, mechanical, drop in AMD and call it a day, or are they going to do full purpose built AMD parts? Well, you're going to see both. Um, What I think people are going to realize more and more is that things aren't that equal um, anymore between any of the pieces of silicon. Uh, You know, on the CPU side, we have the most um, efficient CPU, mobile CPU on the market right now and desktop in terms of performance per watt. And that's really given companies like Asus an incredible advantage with the G14 um, because it's allowed them to build an incredible amount of horsepower uh, in a a notebook that weighs three and a half pounds. I can't, I still can't believe how incredibly lightweight that is. If you built our, uh, if you tried to put our competitor's CPU into that product, it's going to be bigger desirable experience, let's say, or it's going to have to grow. So what's happening yep. is that the market's kind of coming to the realization that you you should really, if you really want to compete out there very effectively, you should really build the carcass to match the components that it's going into. Not try and build one carcass and hope that like Lego pieces, everything's just compatible and it plugs itself in. If you do do that, you end up with a less, com- a less competitive solution because your competitor may not be doing that. They may be doing a G14 which is going to be specially designed for the strengths of that comp- those individual components that they're putting in there. The other factor to consider is, I think in the past, if you were a competitor of AMD's, you would probably want um, AMD to just be a parallel offer, as I call it, to your chassis that was built around your stuff. But now you really don't want that because our stuff's faster, it has better battery life, and it's less expensive. So you have no way of competing if you think about it, right? Like this G15, uh, this Asus, I'm sorry, this Dell G515 SE. That's the AMD design, which we just launched yesterday. And then you, you have actually an Intel and an NVIDIA design. And they're in the similar carcass. There's just a difference between the colors. Ours is $879 on Dell.com. And theirs for an equivalent performing configuration is like $1,300. 
there's no comp there's no competition right now right so mm-hmm. you kind of want you kinda, if, if you're the competition you're like I, I, I want you to build amd a unique form factor right and i'm hoping that it'll be thicker because they put more power or it'll have an ugly uh color on it or it'll have an ugly industrial design or something of that nature but if you do parallel offers now with the position that we're in especially on cpu and we're quickly ramping on graphics um, it's going to hurt the competition, I think, more than help them. Although I, I do wonder if, you know, the perception, because, I mean, I think most consumers are very cynical. They go to Dell.com. They look at that that uh, G515. They look at the Intel version. They look at the AMD version. Most consumers, and this is the weird spot we're in, most consumers will go, well, obviously, this 9750H is, is going to be a better part than this Ryzen 7, even though it's an 8-core. Because it's cheaper. There's no way I would se- they would sell me something cheaper that's actually faster. We're just sort of conditioned <laughs> to believe that, right? I mean, how do you overcome that? Because I can tell you um, that Ryzen 8 core is going to be faster than 9750, especially under heavy loads. So, But consumers are going to go, well, it's cheaper. Nobody ever gives me any. There's never anything better, right, that's cheaper. So yeah, how do you get over that? It is a challenge. Um, I mean, we're doing something disruptive here. It's not, it's not easy what we're doing. But we're, we're trying to educate people. Um, that's why, you know, we're so grateful that you guys invited us to the show so we could talk about this here today. Uh, we're meeting with the hardware guys in a few hours as well. Um, we have to get the education out there that you don't have to spend a fortune. And keep in mind, I mean, I, <laughs> I ran Alienware for over a decade. So <laughs> people say you're, you're talking out of your rear end here, Frank. But the truth is, uh, the value proposition even of Alienware was around the brand and the design and the bells and whistles that we gave you. It wasn't set so much around that you had to spend a fortune to get high performance because we built products like the G-Series at Dell as well, which were in a lot of cases almost as high performance as Alienware. They just didn't come with all the bells and whistles. And that's why this product really fits really well in the G-Series portfolio um, because the whole value proposition of that portfolio is to try and give you the best gaming performance per dollar. That's what G-Series was designed to do. Whereas Alienware is all about luxury and, you know, all of, everything we could possibly think of, eye tracking and 300 hertz displays and, you know, 99 watt hour batteries. But G-Series is, how do we give you the, it's a NASCAR, the most amount of performance for the absolute uh, lowest price. And we think that if people understand that, that they're going to buy into it by and large. Time will tell, but I've been reading the comments of the articles that have been coming out and a lot of people understand this. And I think it's just a simple math equation. And we need to put that math equation in front of more people. These are the games that you're playing. This is the performance. And you can get into that performance for $879. Competition, these are the games you're playing. They can also perform the way you want them to perform, but it's $1,300. Like, at that point, if you decide, in my opinion, I'm sorry, but if you decide to spend $1,300, then you have more dollars and cents. <laughs> so it's our job to give you the education and that burdens on me and my marketing team uh, and that's what we're trying to do we're trying to inform people and you know, we'll see what what happens it's just hard because you you are in a way because there there was a lot of as brad said earlier there was a lot of hard work to reintroduce amd to consumers and desktop and it feels like in laptops we're sort of doing it all over again although hopefully it, it builds off of the success of desktop right for you guys yeah yeah, but I th- th- think that the thing too is the the AMD value proposition is really, if you think of it, 
and I mean, I can say this because we, we, we even demonstrated it um, this week on Monday with the chipset announcements that we made. We're very customer first in how we try and do things. I know everyone really says that, but we really try and demonstrate it in how we operate. And yeah, there's this, you know, the perception of you want to have higher priced components because that'll help drive brand perception and everything. But by and large, our customers are pretty smart and uh, they, they know what they're looking for. And we depend on our customers that to see that we're doing the right thing for them, whether it be we're giving them 16 cores for the price that everyone else is giving them eight cores for, or, you know, we're giving them four years of socket compatibility, whereas some of the other guys give you one year or 18 months. And we're leading in PCI Gen 4. And we're really counting on the people that we're making right by to help go out there and tell our story for us. Because we, not, we don't have the marketing budget that the, our, com- our competitors have. And we may not ever have that. And that's not going to be what fuels our success in the future. Our strategy is let's do the most we absolutely can. Sometimes there's technical challenges that prevent you. And in that case, we have to fold our hand. But as much as we possibly can, like we just demonstrated uh, earlier this week with the, the, three, the 400 series chipset announcements, we're going to try and make right by our customers. And we're going to ask them to please go out there and help proliferate the word of AMD and that will why you know we're different and better um, and help go convert that customer that isn't maybe as in the know as they are um, because ultimately a successful AMD is it's not just good for AMD it's good for the entire industry I think everyone has seen that now the competition has been excellent um, after you know what's really convenient is after our uh, CES announcements around this Dell product and the price point that we announced then of the product um, and then the the smart shift technology we had already seen the CPU competition responding to us for the last two, three years, right? But the graphics competition has not really been very responsive to us. They really haven't taken us that much as a threat. But after what they saw at CES, suddenly you can get, you know, 2060 machines for a much lower price. Suddenly they're launching a new Optimus, which they hadn't updated in five, six years. So the competition's great for everybody. Um, So we ask our customers, look, we're going to do everything we can to make right by you. Try and reciprocate to the best of your ability because a healthy industry is one where there's competition. You've already seen that. Um, so that's, that's kind of our mentality is we just have to keep doing what we're doing well and staying true to our customer. And we think that we're going to continue to prosper. So I have a question around that competition, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't you're like talking to about NVIDIA. As you noticed, I don't like to yeah. say their names. But <laughs> yeah. So after you guys announced Smart Shift, uh, NVIDIA came out and announced the RTX Super, the new Max Qs. That's what you're talking about. Uh, and one of the things that was part of that package was its new Max Q Dynamic Boost technology, mm-hmm. which on the surface, at least the way it's advertised, is supposed to behave somewhat similar to Smart Shift, as in it shifts more power to the GPU when it's needed, more power to the CPU when it's needed is the way NVIDIA pitched it. I haven't personally tested it very much yet. Uh, they say it works with both Intel and AMD chips as in laptops. So as you know, AMD one created smart shift and you have great insight into smart shift itself. NVIDIA is saying it would also work with AMD CPUs and laptops. So I was wondering if you had any insights into comparing the two and how they differ, the two implementations there. Yeah, I I can definitely talk to you about that. So it does work with our processor just as much as it works with their processor. Um, It's it's not very different than version 1.0 of Optimus and Dynamic Boost. Um, It's just 
suddenly um, they were threatened by SmartShift, so they had to relook at their architecture of this and refine it to the best of their ability, and they were able to do that. But they hadn't touched it for a very long time because there was no demand for them to do so. And then we suddenly brought attention to this and it made them pretty nervous. Um, look, the reason it's able to work on any, arch- any CPU architecture is you have to fundamentally understand how the strategies are different between the companies. At AMD, we don't care if you're processing compute on the CPU or the graphics card. We're impartial, right? Because we build both. So mm-hmm. we're happy to shift performance between our Ryzen CPU and our Radeon graphics, however the application requires it. And we're not sitting here every single day trying to tell you, hey, the GPU is the most important component in your computer. It doesn't do us any justice to say that. We say, hey, both of them are are very important. The competition has a completely different philosophy and strategy. They consistently try and remove processing from CPUs because they don't build any of them and move them over to their graphics compute processor because they want that to be the most relevant processor inside your entire solution. Fundamentally, that drives very different behavior. So why is it easy for them to work with us or Intel? Well, because all they're doing is taking TDP away from the CPU as soon as there's a graphics-intensive workload and they're hogging it all entirely for themselves and then when there isn't an executable, a discrete graphics executable that's open because they use a whitelist in the operating system to do this, then they say, okay, fine. There's nothing for me to do here. So CPU, you can have your performance now. Fine, I'll, I'll let you have some of your TDP because there's just nothing for me to process here. Oh, but wait, something popped up for me to go process like a basic 3D render inside of a, a, a browser or anything else, oh, I want to go, I want to go take that. I want to go fire up my, my GPU and I want to show the value of that as soon as I possibly can so that people have dependency on me and so that they buy me in their next system. Well, you know what we have the capability of doing? We have the capability of saying, oh, well, guess what? We have an integrated graphics processor on all these notebooks and we have a discrete graphics processor on all these notebooks. What if the application that you're trying to run is it actually better to run on the integrated graphics because it'll consume less power and it'll still give you a really great uh, experience. We're happy to have the integrated uh, graphics in our integrated graphics CPU process that workload for you. But if the discrete graphics is better for you, okay, then we'll shift it over to the discrete graphics. So the fundamental difference is we're focusing on user experience and we're impartial to -hmm. how we deliver that user experience. Whereas the competition is focused on putting as much compute on them as humanly possible to increase the value of their component in that system. Very, very fundamental differences. So how does that translate into the differences between SmartShift and uh, Dynamic Boost and Optimus? So like I said earlier, we're a hardware-based solution. So we operate seamlessly to the operating system. Uh, Mm -hmm. We take cues from the OS, but we don't depend on the OS. So we don't have to do a a three-way loop, if you will, where the CPU and the OS are communicating, then the OS is communicating with the graphics, the graphics with the OS, and back and forth. That happens in seconds. I I believe it happens in seconds. It certainly doesn't happen in milliseconds. Mm -hmm. We just skip that whole layer. We're communicating directly with one another, and then the OS is sitting here and saying and sending you know a little bit of information, bits of information here and there where we need it. We are also we don't care. We're happy to render on CPU, render on graphics. We don't care about what's being uh, worth the, the application is being run. We care about the experience first. And the other key factor is we don't depend on a whitelist. So Mm -hmm. if tomorrow a new game pops up, 
immediately they have to publish a new driver or a new uh, whitelist so that that executable is running on discrete graphics all of a sudden. We don't have to do that. We're just looking at the workload and we're op the algorithm's optimized based on the workload, not on the application. So that has some, some benefits there as well and that you're going to have greater compatibility um, and you're going to be, you don't have to worry about Windows updates breaking things for you. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, your application not um, operating uh, or not being recognized by the whitelist, for example. Uh, and then our time, our loop time is a lot quicker, right? We're communicating at one millisecond. So we're, yep. because we're shifting much faster um, and we shift bi-directionally. So within a game, I can go from CPU to GPU a thousand times because mm -hmm. again, I'm agnostic. The competition is going to pretty much stay in GPU. So if that game starts to call on CPU, the GPU is hogging all the resources. So I'd encourage people to actually run CPU intensive games on those uh, Optimus designs, games like Civ and GTA 5, and see how well they perform. Because I struggled with that when I was using Optimus in my, in, as an OEM. We would yep. always get complaints about those games operating in an Optimus design. Um, we, I think you, in those environments, you're going to see that uh, SmartShift is a much smarter, no pun intended, solution, <laughs> especially. Okay, awesome. Thank you. That was actually very insightful. Also too. Thank you. Do you, do you think this is, I mean, obviously it's an advantage for AMD because you own both CPU and GPU. Uh, down the road, once Intel, if they ever do get their uh, discrete graphics part launched, they sort of have, they could make a similar play because they actually did that with KB Lake G, but I, I'm going to assume with Z and Tiger Lake, they're going to do something kind of similar. Does this leave uh, the green team in kind of a bad spot because they don't necessarily have a processor? I mean, they don't have x86 side. They have, you're right, they want, it, they want everything on GPU. So if Intel has both, AMD has both, what is NVIDIA going to kind of do? Uh, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Uh, <laughs> there's, there, you can never discount blue, red, or green. Um, all three of us are, uh, <laughs> someone, Adam's cat wanted to make it onto the stream. He was very adamant about it. <laughs> um, I would never dismiss those guys. Um, they're an incredible organization. They got some great leadership, some great people over there, so, so some good friends of mine as well. They'll figure it out. They'll build a great, a great solution. I don't know if they can build a CPU or not, but they'll figure out a way to compete. Um, you, you, exactly what they're going to do, I'm not sure. But I think there is going to be a world where the most efficient solutions out there um, will probably be a, coming from vendors that own more of the ecosystem of, um, of the compute ecosystem that don't necessarily have to rely 100% on standards and the limitations that standards provide in order for components to communicate with one another. And I think, um, you know, we talk about this some internally as well. There may be a world of a I plus I and an A plus A, if you will, where those systems maybe have the best battery life, um, the thinnest, the lightest, um, and uh, uh, have the fastest response times, the best battery life on gaming, the best uh, AI and machine learning engines because they have very efficient, you know, hybrid engines between the integrated graphics and the discrete and a bunch of other benefits that we're, we're working on. And you may look at the green company as maybe not the most efficient and the most balanced when it comes to a solution, but maybe they're going to have advantages as well. Like they may have... Um, you know, if you want the best of 
a certain set of features. Like today, we all know they have the best ray tracing engines. That's not a surprise. It's not, we don't have to lie about that. If you, let's imagine that three years from now, they're on the next big ray tracing thing and they beat us and Intel, for example, to market with that. Well, you may want to go with an I plus N or an A plus N solution because you want to buy into that, whatever that value proposition may be. So in a lot of ways, they're almost going to, I think, kind of become like this um, add-in solution that will have to differentiate itself continuously over and above uh, some of the ways that we've seen the market differentiated in up to now, just raw gaming performance, um, in order for them to stay relevant in the industry. But for more and more customers, I think that just want raw gaming performance and gaming capability uh, or high-performance compute capability that isn't specific to whatever they maybe have secured for themselves, I think you're going to see I plus I, and, a, and assuming they can pull off graphics, first of all, which is a huge assumption, um, and A plus A solutions kind of take more of a dominant role. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, long-term, that's that's not a good-looking curve for uh, for that company. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't, yeah. I'm not, like I said, I, the reason I said don't doubt them, I, I would, ne- I, I would not dismiss their capabilities for one second. I think yeah. that for every ray tracing that they're going to lead the market with, right, there's going to be five, 10 other technologies that are already, they've mapped that we have no idea what the heck they are. Uh, just like we have our five or 10 technologies that we've mapped and nobody knows what the heck they are. Some of those you'll hear about later on this year. Um, but that you can't, you can't think of the playbook of the past as continuing to be the playbook of success in the future. If you do do that, then I agree with you. Then, oh, yeah, they're doomed probably. But everybody's changing the playbook, and they're going to remain relevant, and they're going to remain very competitive. Um, I, would not, uh, I would not suggest anything otherwise. Yeah, that's that would be left for YouTube comments to speculate at the end <laughs> of companies. As we all know, everybody always pulls a rabbit out of the hat. Interestingly, so uh, yeah, spe- speaking to YouTube, we, we do have some questions over here. If uh, if you want to take some, uh, I got a question. I got a question. Unless it's related to what we were just talking about first. I mean, not about necessarily that. Just more smart shift stuff. All right. Yeah, I have a smart shift question, so I want to ask it first. So I'm interested in, since you're the chief architect of gaming solutions, to me that means all gaming, not just uh, PCs, right? So I'm going to ask you about this. Uh, the PlayStation 5, uh, its power shifting technology seems an awful lot like smart shift, like seems to have the same kind of, you know, theory behind it, like, you know, CPU more when it needs it, GPU more when it needs it. Uh, I was wondering if... One, is that technology, in fact, largely similar? And two, if it is, if, like, AMD implemented that into your CPUs and GPUs because Sony asked you to do it, or is it vice versa? Did you go to Sony and say, hey, we're doing this. This is something you're interested in. Uh, well, Sony's actually, there's not a lot I can say about the console, guys. Um, okay. Dangerous territory. Very dangerous, <laughs> Will Robinson. Um, what I'll tell you is that there are, there are public facing messaging materials that um, I believe Sony has put out that do reference smart shift in their architecture mm-hmm. um, uh, with regards to the similarities of it versus how we're implementing it in the PC space. I, I really can't say oh, um, I got to try. Okay. <laughs> um, what, I, what I'll tell you is when it comes to the console companies, we give them a tool set. Mm-hmm. and they're able to use that tool set however they see fit. 
Um, in the case of PCs, we create a tool set. Oftentimes, they're very similar to the console tool set. And then we have to implement the tool set ourselves. Like SmartShift is our, the way that we know it in the Dell product, it's the AMD implementation of that capability that our CPUs and our GPUs have together. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sony, um, they may be implementing it Sony's way. Um, yeah. But what we have are hooks in there, and we have the SMU and the Infinity Fabric, the Infinity Control Fabric. We have all those tools for them to work with, and then they can work with them however they want. And I mm-hmm. genuinely don't know exactly what their implementation is going to be or how it's okay. going to work. But the other thing to keep in mind about consoles historically, I can't tell you anything about anything in the, in the future. If you look at the uh, processors that are inside current Xbox and current PlayStation, the ones that are already released that have been shipping that you can open and see for yourself, mm-hmm. you'll notice that they're one processor. It's CPU and GPU fused together, right? What AMD mm-hmm. can only offer. So because a, a, a notebook is two discrete pieces of silicon, you can probably assume that their implementation is going to have some differences since yeah. uh, it, it's, it's generally going to be a different architecture than how we typically architect uh, laptops versus how the console guys up to now have architected their consoles. So it may have the same similar name, but it's mm-hmm. probably going to work differently. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And, and before to, you to correct something you said, Brad, I actually don't work that much on the on the consoles. Um, well, I actually, Adam threw in your curveball question to, to start the thing about the custom stuff. I was going to ask you. My opening question was going to be, so what does Chief Gaming Architect actually mean? <laughs> I don't know. We're figuring it out. Um, <laughs> we're, we're still figuring it out. Um, you know, initially uh, we, we had enough few ideas as to what it would mean, and that's evolved a lot over mm-hmm. time. Um, you know, right now, uh, what it means, what I'm doing specifically is this, what we call the AMD Advantage, which is mm-hmm. the whole AMD CPU, GPU, software and technology, how we combine all of that to build better end-user computing solutions. I'm leading that entire initiative. And that okay. includes um, building up the team that's going to develop the technology, that's going to design and define the solutions themselves and partner with our OEM and our system integrator partners and our system integrator partners, I'll repeat that, we're not only partial to OEMs. I'm taking care of my, my, my old school plan um, uh, to, to work on bringing those solutions to market. Um, and, and then I also help lead the gaming marketing function. So okay. uh, that's pretty new. I've been doing that for the last five months. Um, but there's a lot of work that we're doing there as well. So when you see like these videos and, uh, you know, these assets and these collateral and stuff around the adrenaline software or around uh, the G14 notebook, for example, we, wor- we work with Asus and Dell on their uh, notebook to, to create all that messaging, all that content, the benchmarks, all of that kind of stuff on the marketing side. On the console side, honestly, I don't, I'm, I don't get involved because they don't need my help. Uh, <laughs> those, I mean, the teams at Microsoft and Sony, they know exactly what the hell they're doing. I mean, if I yeah. get in there, I'm, I'm going to be the dumbest guy in the room. <laughs> uh, so if they need my help, I'm here. Um, mm-hmm. I know Phil uh, at Microsoft, Phil Spencer, he's a good guy. We worked together before in my old days. Um, so if they need anything from here, I'm here for them. But they, I, don't, I don't think there's much value I can offer those guys. I'm, <laughs> I'm more of a PC guy who touches console occasionally, not a, not a console first guy in terms of my experience. Yep. Uh, well, I, I do want to jump in with some uh, some checks. There's a lot of good questions, uh, but real wait, quick, wait, wait, let me let me squeeze mine in first. Now. Oh goodness, man, you're, you're cutting <laughs> off the people, Gordon. 
No, I but like Brad's been taking up all the the, the area. <laughs> I I want to ask, and this is it's actually been asked since we first saw Ryzen four thousand. Um, Nvidia with twenty seventy super twenty eighty super is definitely very high end. Uh, people always ask me when are we going to see twenty seventy super twenty eighty class notebooks with mobile Ryzen. Can you say why we haven't seen them yet? Is it just simply we got to wait for it, or is it conspiracy? <laughs> All of the above. All <laughs> um, let's see. Let's go back to what I said earlier around an OEM's confidence around Ryzen. I think Ryzen 4000 has exceeded everybody's expectations. And yeah. everybody, for the most part, people tiptoed with us. Um, because of that, it was hard to imagine a world where we were the fastest mobile processor. It really was. I know today it's like obvious, it's, but CES was only five months ago, guys. Like think of the world before Ryzen 4000 was launched and, and before any benchmarks came out. Hey, we had a good mobile processor. It was good, arguably great, but it wasn't the best. And it wasn't the best by leaps and bounds. And it wasn't beating their 9700K desktop processor like that shocked and awed everybody and then the results have come out in the last month or two and everyone's like holy crap this is real i think when you're planning your notebook portfolio as an oem and you haven't come to that realization and all this planning was done last year for these notebooks and i'm guilty of it too okay remember i was planning notebooks last <laughs> year you leaned in a little bit with amd but you didn't imagine the scenario we're in today so why would you put the fastest, and I'm, 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 I'm an honest guy, 2070 and 2080 are the fastest mobile graphics that are out there. Why would you pair that with a CPU that you thought was going to be inferior or anything less than the absolute best? You wouldn't. If you were going to lean into some AMD stuff and you know hope and pray, you'd kind of go with the meat of the market, the fat of the bat. And that's going to be in the 2060 range, the 1660 Ti range, and the 1650. So you see a bunch of those configurations you're going to. Now that people realize the world has changed, the, a lot of the conversations we're having for later on this year and for early next year are centered around even higher performing SKUs from us and from our competition in mobile systems. So I think if you understand and you believe that, and there's no reason you really shouldn't, uh, I think it's a very logical explanation. It starts to diminish the conspiracy theories. Um, I'm, I can't tell you if, if that, there's any merit to those or not. But that stuff doesn't keep me up at night. That's fun to think about, but I don't, <laughs> I don't spend my time trying to figure out how we go solve the conspiracy because I don't think that's, that's relevant, honestly. Thanks. But they are fun. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. It's just an no. excuse. You know, it's an easy excuse that they're out there. But once you understand the way we have to plan stuff as an OEM, you know, people think OEMs have like these inf infinite resources, but it's pretty simple how it works. It's like, okay, you have a roadmap <clears throat> and you have a capacity and your capacity is I can build, let's just use a round number, 100 products next year. Okay. What are the 100 products that I'm going to build that are going to deliver the most success to the business? Yeah. And that's it. You can't build 101. You can't build 105. The only way you can build 101 or 105 is if you hire more people. Or you start doing games that we play called leverage, um, where we take a motherboard and we put it into two mechanicals, assuming that you have 
more mechanical resources than electrical resources. Or you take two, um, two motherboards uh, and you put them into one uh, mechanical. Um, so you could do different things like that. And we call that leverage. Uh, and it's, it's predominant throughout the entire industry. But you, those are like, that's why you see some of these things where, hey, this motherboard looks exactly like the same one in the 15-inch notebook, but this is a 17-inch notebook. And they just added like a daughter card to, for the ports. Or they didn't even do that in some cases. All the ports are on one side. That's because we're trying to get you more notebooks and more SKUs that you want with the limited finite resources that we have. Um, so in that, th- think about the burden that you know, the, the, the product manager has in, in one of these OEMs. Everyone's coming at them saying, I have the best CPU. I have the best graphics. I have the best LCD screen. I have the best battery. I have the best of everything. And they have to look at the market and not just in the past, because the future is not necessarily going to be a, a copy of the past. They have to predict what the demand is going to be in the future and then make those decisions 12 to 18 months before they're ever going to see that product to test whether or not their assumptions and their hypothesis was right. So you do a bunch of research, focus groups, everything you can to try and mitigate that risk as much as possible. But there comes a point where you have to like commit and deliver. You got to lock the spec and you got to do detailed designs for detailed design start. And that's ultimately what happens. I mean, look, before Ryzen 4000, the competition was a sure bet. Before 5600M, and people are seeing now with the Radeon 5600M and what SmartShift's able to provide, they're going to see that with the Dell G5. NVIDIA was a sure bet. I said the name. They were a sure bet, <laughs> right? So you, you tiptoe, you, you prove to the market, hey, things are a little bit different now. You may want to you know, bring us in because the sure bets of yesterday are not the sure bets of tomorrow and little by little you start to see more skew proliferation and more wins and, and that's just what everybody's seeing right now there's frustration i see it on twitter i get the comments all the time there's one guy who every single day he posts on my twitter blog where are the 2070 amds where are the 2080 amds <laughs> copies every oem that's out there and i see him i'm like dude i can't help you like <laughs> you just got to give it time <laughs> But it's coming. It just we need the, we need the process to play itself out. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, and I'm excited for it because I sort of think the problem with the thermal limitations of uh, Intel and Nvidia, I can say their names, is that's a hot CPU. That's a hot GPU. You put in a CPU that's just way more efficient. A lot is cooling. You get more of that thermal budget. I just sort of think you can really get a 2080 super to yeah. really scream with the Ryzen in it, you know? So we're, we're just excited to see it one day. Hopefully. I, I, I agree. I agree. But keep in mind like 2080 supermarket, the market yeah. for that yeah. is like 1% of the overall yeah. market. So you have 1%, maybe 2%, right? Yeah. You already have like five or six products in there competing against that. So it's hard to, as an OEM, to say, I'm going to add another one of those products to cater to that tiny, tiny total available market. And right. that's, the, that's the battle everyone's working with. It's always easier to just add another 2060 SKU in a you know, different color or, uh, or soon, hopefully, another 5600M SKU. And it, it's just you, your business cases always look a lot better. That your way. problem is the media because that's all we ever talk about. You ever talk about the Corvette? Nobody talks about the Chevette, right? It's a classic, right? So, <laughs> oh, yeah. But you know, that's that was the at Alienware. That's what we were really good at is we would ignore the numbers by and large, and we would focus on those little niches, and we would lean into them and we would trust them. And because we did that, the market rewarded us. I remember 
planning things like the first 35 watt graphics chip. This was 15 years ago. A 35 watt graphics chip was ludicrous, guys. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and then we went to 55 and we were the only people crazy enough to use this stuff. And NVIDIA was our key partner back then. And then we went to 75 and then 100 and then 150 and then 180. <laughs> and then Max Q came out and kind of like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> heel horsey, heel horsey. But um, we, we were driving that because we, we believed and you know, we'd still do. I mean, I still do in that really small enthusiast segment. Um, but there's no data to rely on. It's not like you can't, you don't, you don't do those. You don't make those decisions out of logic. You make it out of a fundamental understanding of and passion for the industry and the, and the customer base and the technology that you trust they're going to buy into. If you take, if you lean in and you take those risks, there's not a lot of people who can honestly afford to do that. Um, it takes kind of co-founder status where it's hard for you to get fired to be able to go kind of do those things. <laughs> Because most people would get fired for even suggesting ludicrousy like that. Uh, all right, let me get to some some uh, chat questions. Uh, Karthik had given us a uh, hundred ruples, I think is what it is uh, earlier. Uh, so thank you, Karthik, and asks um, Frank, what would you tell an OEM about why they should go with Ryzen four thousand plus RDNA over Intel plus NVIDIA? You kind of touched on it a little bit already, but. Yeah, I, I think the simplest uh, answer, and I hate for this to be it because this isn't what we ultimately want to be the position. Um, but ultimately, the the OEM needs to ask themselves what are they trying to accomplish in building this product, building this solution. Am I trying to give this customer the best performance per dollar that they can possibly get in a well balanced platform, or am I trying to give them the absolute best performance? or the absolute best feature set, regardless of money. And if you know anything about how most consumers purchase most, um, we tend to set a budget for our technology. And we say, all right, it's time to buy a new laptop. I got $1,000 to spend. Typically, that's how you buy. It's very rare that you just say, I need a new laptop to buy. What's the best thing that's out there? Oh, it costs 4,000 bucks. I'm going to go buy the best thing that's out there. It's 4,000 bucks. A few People can buy that way, but the majority of people can't. So you say your budget's a thousand bucks. Then the next logical step in your mind is what's the most that I can get for my thousand dollars? If you want to be able to give your customer that value proposition, you want to be able to give them the most performance, the largest SSD, the best screen, the best of a lot more of a, a well balanced platform versus two companies hogging all of the dollars, then an AMD G515 is going to be the best solution. Because it's performance per dollar. There's nothing better out there in the market. And for anybody who's considering building an A plus A solution with us, we can guarantee to you that because we have that smart shift benefit, that is that AMD advantage that gives you that 10, 14% boost, the competition just can't do that. They have to sell you a higher bin of both components. And they're not going to give those away to you for free because they make too much money in that. So their own business model works against them there. Whereas with us, this secret sauce of ours, it, and, and it's, it surely cost AMD plenty when they acquired ATI you know, 13, 14 years ago. Um, but that secret sauce just gives you that performance at a, at a price point that nobody can, they, they can't, nobody can match it. They just can't because they don't have both of those components and they don't have that, that secret sauce of smart shift. 
that's actually what you're describing is exactly my mindset personally for shopping for gaming laptops. Like I'll spend a thousand dollar on a gaming laptop. Like I'm a dad, I have kids, you know, I got to pay for braces. So I got a thousand bucks. Well, now you so, got to buy them gaming laptops too. <laughs> and they're going to be like, Hey, where's mine? So that's they, what I they get. They get the last gen stuff. I give them what I used to use. <laughs> yeah. You're a lucky guy. Cause I don't get away with that stuff. <laughs> Uh, all right, we got a, another good one about SmartShift to hear from Flash Photo. Uh, he asked, uh, "How does the Ryzen APUs handle the power between CPU cores and GPU cores? Can you go into that a little bit? Is it similar?" Oh, so you could say that our APUs um, have SmartShift in them. We just don't say it that way. But naturally, in order for the the way the APUs have always worked is they in the APU shift between the CPU and the GPU depending on the workload. Um, what SmartShift is, as we refer to it now, is just us taking that technology and capability and introducing it into discrete graphics. So I've described it as like we created a super APU with discrete graphics. Um, but yeah, SmartShift has basically been operating within our APUs ever since uh, the, the CPU and the graphics fused together, what, 10 years ago or so um, between AMD and ATI. Okay. Uh, another one, um, the ninth dude had asked a, a while ago, does the battery life improve with SmartShift when doing just normal laptop things like word processing and watching videos? No, um, because when you're word processing and watching videos, the discrete, the discrete GPU is basically turned off. It's in its uh, sleep mode. So, they, um, so there's not much savings there. Now, theoretically, um, but this is not a key value proposition yet. So I'm not going to oversell this. Theoretically, because we're able to shift quickly um, and we're able to shift bidirectionally uh, within uh, two milliseconds on average a millisecond, and we don't need any C or any OS calls to do it. The loop is, is more, uh, more efficient. When you're using uh, a discrete graphics application, when you're rendering, for example, um, games or otherwise, theoretically, you should have higher battery life with our solution. But... Who plays a game on battery nowadays? The experience pretty much sucks. It's an hour. It's an hour and a half. Um, so first and foremost, SmartShift 1.0 is what you have today. Our number one priority was let's optimize the heck out of that algorithm to get the most performance we possibly can. We didn't focus that much on the battery life element because it's not a use case that's very significant right now. Now, we are working on the gaming on battery life use case, and that will drive future versions of SmartShift to to start to account for that and to participate in us extending the gaming on battery life um, uh, lifetime. Um, but that's not where we are just today. Right now, it's purely a performance solution. Okay. Uh, a good one over on uh, Discord, Master Procrastinator asked, uh, would this technology make sense in desktops or is it usefulness limited to devices like laptops because they're thermally constrained? Um, yeah, that's one part of the question. So it's a question we ask ourselves a lot. Uh, the issue, that's not an issue, but the reality of desktops, large format desktops like mini towers and, uh, and ATXs, full towers, is that the cooling systems are unique and they're attached to the silicon itself and there's no sharing between them. So in that environment, not really. We haven't found a smart shift um, application. We have a lot of other technologies that will benefit uh, desktops though that will come, will be announced in the future. Um, but if you get into a ultra small form factor, um, there you can see some benefit because now those are proprietary. Typically, they're even in an ITX, mini ITX form factor. 
it's kind of congested in there. There's not always a lot of upgrading that occurs. So you can start to design um, some shared thermal solutions where smart shifts can help. Uh, and it's part of the Zen architecture, the smart shift hooks and everything. So it's in Zen too. It could theoretically be in Ryzen 3000 uh, as it stands today. It's just, we don't have enough solutions yet um, or any right now on the desktop side. And we're certainly interested if OEMs want to partner with us that will have a shared thermal solution to actually turn it on and design and optimize for it. Keep in mind, like these things, these features, it's not like you just flip a switch and suddenly they work. Like we have to design, validate, you know, test, re, you know, just as a, it's a process. So we do it on a form factor specific basis. So um, like the Dell Celic was, or the Dell G515 was going through our validation engineering process and it was very closely managed to make sure that the smart shift algorithm was optimized for it because it has a very specific thermal profile and every device does. So if there's a small ultra small form factor out there that wants to work with us on this, then we were absolutely be open to considering um, putting smart shift on it and then running them through that very similar uh, engineering process that we ran the the Dell product through to optimize for its uh, thermal headroom. I have a question. Kind of not really related to that, kind of tangentially, just popped in my head. So you were talking about there are already solutions that you can use on the desktop to improve things. It made me think of Radeon Chill. So which basically when you're, you know, playing a game, if you're not moving the mouse using the keyboard, it'll scale back the GPU basically so that, mm-hmm. you know, save power and stuff. Does that affect or interact with SmartShift in any way? Does SmartShift take that into account? How does that work? Does um, it just work? It just works, but uh, that's one of the, the ways that we're, we're able to give you better battery life while you're gaming is what mm-hmm. Radeon Chill does is it can actually cap your frame rate a little bit. So if you're playing, I mean, you play League of Legends on a, a modern gaming notebook today with a 5600M or anything better than that from the competition, and you're getting well over 100 frames per second on these mm-hmm. games. Uh, like if you're doing a, if you're, if you're playing... You know, and if you're training for esports or you're, you're competing with your friends, then you're you're going to be plugged in if you're even using a notebook at all. Most people mm-hmm. use desktops for that. But let's say you're, you're traveling and you're using a notebook, you're going to be plugged in. But when you're not doing that, you just want to fire up a game for fun. Maybe I just want to play a casual game of Overwatch or CSGO. I don't need to run it at 300 frames per second, even though mm-hmm. the computer can. What Chill will allow you to do is say, hey, just run me at 75, for example. Mm-hmm. And then the power savings that you're able to get because you're capping the frame rate at around to around 75 or so that will translate into longer battery life for you so it's a way for us to reverse into longer battery life and we created something called power profile that's in our new adrenaline software that enables you to be able to do that now and extend your battery life a little bit um but that's those are some of the tactics and tools now within that smart shift will just work it'll work just fine smart shift will realize oh I don't need to give the GPU 90 watts. It'll work fine at, at 40 watts or 50 watts or whatever the right TDP is. Um, and it'll work as, as designed in that environment. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I imagine if it did have to talk to the OS, like the competing solution, it wouldn't work as well because Radeon Chill can affect the GPU speeds and needs so quickly. Well, that's now you're starting to get the whole, the whole equation as to why it's A plus A plus A. The yeah. third A is software and technologies is mm-hmm. because, yeah, the fact that we have all those software capabilities, we can use the software, we can use the experience because we can be aware contextually of what you're doing on your PC 
We know if you're gaming. We even know what game you're playing. We don't transmit that up to home base. We know in the Adrenaline software, we can tell the CPU and GPU to do things via the OS and via our drivers that maybe aren't already happening at the, at the hardware level uh, seamlessly to that. So now mm-hmm. Chill can somewhat speak to SmartShift and the other technologies up, upstream to help them all operate more efficiently. That's a much greater level of low-level control that we're able to have throughout the end-to-end ecosystem from, of the A plus A plus A. Mm-hmm. And if you brought in a third-party tool that's trying to interface with, let's say, the BIOS, for example, um, and it can only have BIOS hooks and, and modify the BIOS, uh, we, can, we can communicate as deep as we want to into the silicon through our software and our software interface. And like SmartShift, we created a visualizer. So you can go into the Adrenaline software on your, your Dell notebook, and you can see SmartShift shifting in real time. You can even have a little overlay on your game or your 3D rendering application and see it shifting from CPU to graphics. Um, we, we would only be able to do that. You, can't, you don't get that from the competing solution, mm-hmm. right? Because they can't communicate to the CPU that way. Not yet, yep. unless the CPU yep. company tells them, okay, yeah, fine. I'll give you all these insights into my CPU so that you can have that benefit to go out there. So that right now we're not letting you adjust anything in SmartShift today. It's just a uh, a visualization tool for what's occurring. But mm-hmm. in the future, you can start to imagine. Oh, so if they can read, they can probably write as well. Yes, yep. and then we can start getting much more advanced. So when I talk about awesome. we have our five or ten technologies, that's that's how they work. Is that they're built across the entire spectrum of A plus A plus A. It's very interesting. Thank you. That's that could get very interesting actually. <laughs> yeah, you start to do some brainstorming around it and you're like, oh, what if you could do this? And what if you could do that? And what if you could do this? Yeah, we've probably thought about it. And yeah, we're probably working on it. <laughs> uh, speaking of some, uh, something somebody would like you to work on, uh, Dennis Siberian was asking earlier uh, that Radeon uh, software now supports integer scaling, but laptop users can only enable it for external monitors. Any plans on changing that to, uh, to allow it for internal monitors? Hmm, I don't know. Um, I don't know on that one, honestly. Um, it's I'm kind of a specific now, though, question. Why, yeah, I'm curious as to why it doesn't support internal monitors now. I share, I share that question, so I'm going to go get the answer for it. Uh, I'll, I'll post. Let me go find the answer, and I'll post it on my Twitter um, at Azor Frank, and I'll definitely post it on my Twitter. Sophia, if you can take that for me. Okay. Nice. So, hey, Frank, I, I have a question because you know I don't, I don't think we've said it to uh, since the show started, but you, you obviously you were here from the beginning of gaming laptops. You sort of helped build the first ones has the trend has been to get thinner and thinner Z height, right? So 20 millimeters and less, is that just, is that the, that's the future we're all going to look at sort of like, are we going to just move away from big, thick gaming laptops, eight pounders, 10 pounders. And the future is really about five, five, six pounds, you know, and thinner and thinner and continue to just get thin as possible. I mean, Gordon, there's what I want, and then there's the reality of the market. Um, I think, unfortunately, we are going to be moving uh, away from the bigger form factors. Um, the, gaming, the, the gaming notebook market has exploded. It's about 20 million units a year are sold right now of gaming laptops. And it's growing at about uh, roughly a compounded annual growth rate of about 8%. Um, 
the categories that are growing the fastest are the 15 inch category, the thin and light category, the sub $1,000 category. And it's not rocket science. I mean, if you look at PC laptops 20 years ago and 10 years ago, outside of gaming, you saw this already play itself out. It was kind of a race to the bottom on price point. Um, and a lot of the really highly innovative designs and things kind of faded and disappeared. And then the last five, six years, I give this credit a lot to three primary companies, Apple, Microsoft with Surface, and I think Dell XPS. You saw a lot of innovation come back into the mainstream PC and you saw these premium consumer PCs emerge. Um, and we've seen niche, you know, kind of uh, experiments being taken place. And it's really invigorating like what we've seen in that, in that category. What I'm worried of is that that exact same cycle may potentially repeat itself in gaming, although I'm hoping it doesn't. I don't want everybody to move away from the really, really cool products in gaming that we've had for the last 20 years, which is where we started, and just go chase the fat of the bat of the market. Um, and then somebody come to the realization, oh, there's no more money to be made there. Let's go start building really cool, niche, high-end products again. I'm hoping we're smarter the second time around and that won't happen, but I'm particularly nervous right now because the current economic environment around the world because of COVID has made a lot of people nervous. And uh, we are hearing of OEMs trimming down platforms and things. And, you know, the first ones to go are the cool ones, unfortunately. You know, if it's not selling X amount of units and delivering this much revenue and this much margin, unless you have your lunatics like Frank and stuff in the companies that are just like, charging along and just saying, no, we have to do this. This is all about the community. It's all about the brand equity, the halo. Um, I'm hoping we still have people like that. And I know we do because I work with some of them out there. And I just hope they don't lose their will to fight and continue to. Because uh, gaming, especially PC gaming, how many times has it been forecasted to die? Like the death of the PC is extremely overrated. Right? Oh, don't get going yeah. started. Yeah, like <laughs> consoles, you know, Xbox came out. Oh, the PC's dead. No one ever buy a PC again. Then it was smartphones. Then it was tablets. Now it's cloud gaming. Cloud gaming is going to put all PC gaming out of business. Uh, and what's really kept this relevant has been innovation, um, both on the game side, on the commerce side. We've had esports most, rec most recently boom but also on the hardware side, the hardware innovation has been a huge element that has kept PC gaming exciting and relevant and, 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 and thriving. And I, I think it's a responsibility to every company, the way I look at it. It's really a responsibility for every single company that's going to be building PC gaming hardware to not just chase the fat of the bat of the market, but to help contribute to the innovation and the, and the continued success of PC gaming. Up to now, I think the market's been pretty good. Like HP did some really cool stuff with the Omen dual screen. I love the experimentation. It's awesome, mm -hmm. you know? Um, Asus with G14, I mean, extremely innovative. They chased lightweight, the, the back LCD screen with the illumination, awesome. Um, but those, those attempts are less and less towards the big, thick, heavy, upgradable, fun laptops. And I'm just hoping that we don't forget about that market as we go through all this. Yeah, and I am too because I I feel like those Halo products. It's the Formula One of gaming laptops. Yeah. You get these high end features, and then they eventually trickle down to fifteen inch thin and lights. Hopefully, you know, but you got to start somewhere, and that's why yeah. it'd be a bummer to see it go away. Yeah, we started at Alienware like four or five years ago. We put eye trackers in our our big thick seventeen inch 
gaming notebook and people are like, what the hell is he going to use this? It's stupid. It supports 20 games. And we stuck with it and we stuck with it. And eventually it made its way into our 15 inch thin and light. But to go from an eye tracking module that was like this big and right. Um, and which only fit in a 17 and then squeeze that down into a 15, we would never have been able to get there had we not started at the big, at the big one, started generating some business, getting more ISV support, and then being able to shrink it down. Whether it's valuable or not, here we go. Got a kid in the background. <laughs> hey, I'm streaming. I'm working. Oh, <laughs> his brother must be chasing him. Um, to, uh, to, uh, to go from that to the smaller form factor, the more affordable one, to be able to proliferate it into more platforms, um, you have to start at the big boys, right? And I, there's so much more other innovation, like even RGB lights, you know, some people hate them now, but they started on desktops and you could only afford and, and fit them into big products. The, the first RGB keyboard, backlit keyboard that we ever did, it was massive. I think it was like eight millimeters in Z height big. And over time, we figured out how to cram that thing down to like a five millimeter Z high keyboard. That may not sound like a lot, but that's a 40, so, 40 or so percent reduction. That's not easy to do. It's a, it's a pretty hard thing to do, believe it or not. And if we don't have those big Halo products that afford us the dollars to innovate and invest and the real estate to be able to do it, I worry that innovation is going to be delayed. It's going to stifle a little bit. So I think we all have a responsibility. You know, the other product that was really cool is that big ass Acer. What was that Acer Predator? That oh, right, right, thousand dollar, seven thousand. Uh, wasn't it? It was the widescreen. I'm sorry, I can't remember. Yeah, the, the eighteen inch. Model. It was the eighteen yes. inch curved screen. When it came in in its own Pelican case. Yeah, that was... <laughs> yeah we we did an eighteen once. We did a we did a bunch of crazy stuff too. But I like that fun. business model though because it felt like yeah. like you know what we're gonna make you know. 500 of these we're going to charge 7000 bucks and we'll just break even on these. Yeah. But we'll get headlines, we'll we'll do some cool things with it and you know, it's not a drag on the business. It's not going to make a lot of money, but you know, it was you just sexy. What, what people don't talk about is the value of the lessons you learn when you build those products. Um you learn an enormous amount that absolutely applies to other products. Um I'll tell you like you know, you, you referenced the, uh, the, the Cavi Lake G program. Well, we, we did that in, at XPS. I don't know if you remember, we did an XPS 15 2-in-1 using Cavi Lake G. And it was a big risk and everything. And I remember the conversations. Of we had to put so much new technology into that product in order to make it as thin as it was. Um, we, we had this aerogel technology that was like this uh, insulating thermal technology that we were experimenting with. We had the, this graphite. We had all these crazy far out mechanical uh, or and thermal technologies we were messing with this hinge that we had to do for the 15 inch and i remember us talking about how the impact of what we were going to learn from that product was going to be more valuable than any revenue and margin that that product was going to contribute to the business and sure enough if you look at the new xps 15s and 17s a ton of technology and influence came, which you may not see it on the outside, but you can actually see it on the inside and talk to the engineers about it from the lessons they learned by building that uh, Cabby Lake G15 2-in-1. Um, and those are hard to quantify, but uh, they, they're absolutely real and valuable lessons. But you have to be willing to throw things up against the wall, see what sticks, learn from those failures, have the courage to make those failures, and then apply them to you know the smarter, the next generation 
of whatever that that follows on that product and that's that takes courage that takes uh, a lot of guts and it takes a lot of investment and today i think we're in a good place but i just hope it doesn't fade nice cool. uh so, sorry we're you know we're we're running oh, he's talking but we cannot hear oh. you sorry we're 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 running uh, low on time but I, i've got some really oh. good questions uh if if you, if you have time to get to them my house may be on fire too because my kid just ran in here terrified for his life. So <laughs> either his older brother is chasing him with a, a knife or a hammer or they lit something on fire. So I may be running out of time too. Let me know if you see smoke behind me. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make this, this next batch really easy where we're getting a bunch of questions and I'm just going to bundle them together and you just say no. Uh, SM Monster asked uh, any news about Zen 3. Emil asked, will there be an XPS with Ryzen 4000? Pedro asked, any news on new GPs for desktop? Uh, and Daniel asked, um, can I run Rome Total War at 60 FPS on Ryzen 5 laptops? You can just feel free to just say yes or no to all of those. All right. Uh, the first one was <laughs> Rapid Fire. I'm Let's sorry. Uh, any any news this? about Zen 3? Any news about Zen 3? Yes, Zen 3 is coming before the end of the year. You should already know that because Lisa said it. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to get Frank in trouble here, audience. You're trying oh, you know to get what? Frank in audience. I've got, I've, got, I've got news for you. Zen 3 is going to work on B450 and B450 motherboards. <laughs> How's that? If you didn't catch that news, that's going to work now. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. show me a competitor that's ever done that for you. I like that. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, what about an XPS with Ryzen 4000? Can you can you make that happen? I I, I do every day. I try every day, my friends. <laughs> okay. Uh, any so news? I'll on give the... you some. I'll give you some Twitter handles of people you can message to try and help me with that effort. <laughs> uh, any news on new GPUs for desktops? Um. Nope. Okay. <laughs> Frank is good. Frank is good. I want to tell you so much, but um we're 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 being pretty tight lipped about it. Um but it, it, things are looking good. Things are looking good. Okay. Um and we're excited. I have a, a couple more uh deeper questions. Uh Karthik gave us a hundred more rupees, thank you. And asks a lot of folks buy AM or NVIDIA cards uh for deep learning because of the CUDA cores. Uh, does AMD have any plans on taking on CUDA in a big way? Um, in a big way, you know, I wouldn't say we have a, a, a huge master suddenly revolutionary plan that's going to be a big way, but we're certainly participating in the space. We have our data center um, graphics team that is building, you know, data center graphics solutions and they're dedicated data center graphics solutions. They're, we're not sharing them with, uh, for example, the gaming graphics cards. Um, these are 100% dedic dedic dedicated data center, uh, machine learning and inferencing cards. Um, so we are, we're absolutely strategically aligned to succeed in that category. Um, and we're going to be making more and more announcements here in the coming time. We, we reorganized ourselves to, be more dedicated to that segment of the market uh, about a year ago. Um, so now that team has been working and churning out products and, uh, and roadmaps and, and, and everything. So you're, you'll see some announcements coming up from us, um, but it's not going to be a category that we're going to ignore. I'll tell you that we're very focused on, on having some wins in that category. I knew better than to ask questions today, but I'm very interested to see how those two lines that are now diverging in gpus are going to play out over the next several years it's a very interesting change yeah it is mm -hmm. it's it's cool that 
what started as this like, add-in card that nerds would put into their computers to play <laughs> video games, which is like the nerdiest thing in the universe, is suddenly helping us change the world. Like, yeah. how freaking cool is that, man? Um, yeah, it's awesome. Suddenly, we're not that nerdy anymore. I, I mean, we're still nerdy, but uh, we're helping change the world in, in huge ways. And that's, that's pretty awesome. It's, unre- it's unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. Uh, okay, a couple more. Uh, Dominic is asking, uh, how is AMD improving the quality of their drivers in laptops, especially when some users are still experiencing driver problems with the 5600 XT? Yeah, there can never be an interview without a driver question, driver quality <laughs> question, you know? Should have cut this off five minutes ago. <laughs> um, look, what, I, what I'll tell you is um, it's, it is absolutely a huge focus, and it's something that we, we do take very seriously. Um, I, there have been some very active conversations at Lisa's level all the way on down. Um, she's very passionate about this, um, and we have some more work to do. We are trying to be as responsive as we possibly can, and that's, that's what we're trying to do the best of right now. We, we struggle with – give me one second. Let me close this door, guys, <laughs> because we – one of the challenges we have is we have some really smart people that have some really great ideas. Um, and if you look at our adrenaline software – we have the most feature-rich graphics uh, software suite in the market. There's, it's undeniable, right? Boost, image sharpening, AMD Link, which allows you to access your desktop from uh, you know, a smart device like Fire TV or your smartphone. Um, all these different features that we have in our software, Enhanced Sync. Uh, my, my God, how many? We just have so many. Um, Radeon Chill. Radeon Chill. Thank you. <laughs> Wattman. All these things. Uh, Relive, which is a, a great simple streaming solution, you would be insulted, Adam, but it's a great <laughs> simple streaming solution. The, these features um, come as, because we have a very an amazing product uh, software product management and product planning team. Sometimes we we are a little too ambitious in these features and these and they we focus a little bit on them more than on the quality of the driver. Or sometimes these features come out and they break a couple things here and there uh, because the issue with graphics is you have so many different flavors of, from so many different um, board partners with so many different memory configurations and so many different vBioses and the complexity is pretty high. Um, so you may not really run into an issue that we rarely run into issues that affect 95% of customers. Uh, typically it's you run into an issue that's affecting like a small minority of customers. Um, but the AMD customer base is, it is the loudest customer base without a doubt that's out there. And they're very community engaged. They're very uh, focused on in, in the, in community on social media. You know, we nurture the Reddit community a lot too. Our competitors don't nurture. So we listen a lot to what people say on Reddit. That can be a very hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we kind of, we are, the driver complaints, now I'm not saying that they're not merited by any means, but they're a little bit self-induced because we are ambitious with the features that we're trying to put out there and it's all with good intentions. And they, are, they tend to be louder when they're AMD related because of the nature of the AMD customer. And if you think about why, what are you talking about? Well, if you think about brand awareness, okay, 
and you bring up the word Intel to a billion people out there, how much brand awareness do you think you're going to get? 90%? I mean, they've been seeing the commercials forever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you bring up NVIDIA and you're going to have some pretty damn high brand awareness. Now you bring on AMD Radeon right now and it's going to be a lot lower because the graphics have been challenged for about a decade now. And we're rebuilding that starting with Navi and uh, 50, the 5000 series. So the people that have been loyal to AMD tend to be the most tech savvy audience. They tend to be the folks that are extremely passionate and they, they don't get drowned out by everybody else. If you the mainstream, if you will, or the, the less tech savvy audience that's out there. So you, you get a, a lot of passion. You get a lot of people that have been following AMD for a really, really long time. And when something goes wrong, they're very vocal and that it, it, it's amplified because of that. Now, we do have quality issues um, on the graphics driver side. And I'll tell you that we've resolved almost all of them, all the black screen issues that emerged back in December, January. We've pretty much nailed just about every single one of them that is, has bubbled up as a major recurring issue. And that experience has forced us to relook at our entire driver validation process and our release process. And we're implementing um, more checkpoints to help make sure that these things are, are more stable before they get released. We're considering a beta program. That's the other thing that we haven't done up to now. We don't really put out beta drivers, if you notice. Um, it's almost always a final release. Well, you know, we'd probably be better off if we did a beta driver like everybody else does. That way, if there's a failure, there's a little bit more tolerance for that failure because expectations have been set up front. But we kind of immediately skip over to a final release. So we're evaluating maybe doing a beta um, so that folks can actually regress back to a working driver if uh, they run into an issue. And then when it comes to the features that we're adding, those ambitious features that we're constantly adding, we're putting validation rigor behind those as well so that when they come out, they, they'll hopefully break nothing or break less things. But in the past, we've been very eager to come out with new features very, very quickly. And they have um, caused a couple issues for us here and there. Like Enhanced Sync was one of them that was causing a lot of black screens earlier this year. It's a really cool feature. Kind of gives you almost like a free sync display if you don't have one in a way. It's mm-hmm. almost like half of a free sync. Um, but it does have some conflicts and some issues with some, with, uh, with some applications out there. And it was breaking a few things. So the intentions are great, but we still, yeah, we're, we, we had some lessons to learn earlier this year. And I can't tell you that we're perfect and they're not going to be perfect moving forward. I'll never tell you that. But I'll tell you, they have the right attention on them. We believe we have a solid plan to improve. And it's, uh, it's something that we're very, we're very uh, I don't know, sensitive to, I would say. Right now, it's painful. You can hear in my somber voice. <laughs> I think it's important, like you were saying, that to keep in mind that these issues as they do pop up do affect like a minority of people. Like we were talking about all these, like I've never run into a 5,700 or 5,600 issue hardware and box, which generated a lot of the coverage of this topic themselves said, Hey, yeah. we've run a bunch of these. We've I never know. run into it. <laughs> the issue is if it runs into you, it's very devastating to you. And that's yeah. why you hear a lot about it. But I think on the, on the general level, AMD drivers are leaps and bounds better than they used to be. Agreed. Agreed. It's, and it's never finished. The work is yeah. never finished. Um, but it, you know, I, when I, when, when we say people always caution me, don't tell them that they're more vocal than everybody else. It, but <laughs> it is true, but mm-hmm. that's a good thing. You got to look at it mm-hmm. as a good thing. Like the fact that 
people are so sensitive to any little hiccup that we have. It sucks, right? That it happens. <laughs> but man, I don't want a customer base that isn't passionate. I don't want a customer base that doesn't care. You know yeah. what happens with that customer? They say, oh, this doesn't work. Return it to wherever I bought it. Go buy another one. And you never hear mm-hmm. a damn thing from them. That's scary if you have that customer. The fact that our yeah. people are berating us, they're flogging us on, on social media, that means they care. They want us to fix this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's our job is to make sure that we're being responsive and we're learning from it. And we are. And we're, we're absolutely doing our best. But, I mean, look, at, I mean, I'll show you right here. This is, this is what I'm running in my system. I've never had an issue. I've never had a black screen. I've never had any of these things, mm-hmm. um, but they do exist. It's not a, mm-hmm. uh, it's not fake. Uh, yep. One day we should have a conspiracy conversation around that, by the way, but <laughs> conversation, a whole other topic. That'd be fun. For another day. Do, do, do we have time for two more fun questions? Yeah. Yeah. The, I don't smell any fire. So I think we're okay. <laughs> okay. And the, the dog uh, chat was enjoying seeing the dog. Uh. Oh, you saw him? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Down here. Yep. Yeah. This is our, uh, our English cream dachshund. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, um, acid, acid suone. I don't know how to say this. Uh, can you ask about what's uh, what's up with the whole AMD marketing department? Do they talk to the engineers, and how do they operate? Uh, I, th- I thought that'd be kind of interesting to hear a little bit more of the, you know, the inner workings of of what it's like to do your job. <laughs> Is that a criticism or is that you a know, genuine question? Maybe maybe they uh, maybe they framed it that way, but not for me. No. Um, so, so pretty much the majority of the marketing that you see, uh, coming out as of the last five months with regards to our desktop processors, um, any of our gaming laptops and anything related to our graphics, again, only the last five months, um, has been under my leadership and, uh, we're doing a lot to, to change things up there and to improve, um, well, one of the things we changed is the uh, those functions used to be under our worldwide marketing organization, um, which is like a very traditional, typical worldwide marketing organization at most companies in that it's under our chief marketing officer. And it's a function that's as a peer function to like our engineering teams on, on graphics and CPU. I, I work within our, our client and graphics team. So I act, my peers, for example, are Scott Herkelman, who you guys had on here a few months ago, right? Mm-hmm. So he runs graphics, right? Uh, and then who runs uh, uh, CPUs for us is Saeed Mashkalani. Um, so we're, we're, we're in the business unit. You know, we're in the engineering unit. We, we're next to product planning, product, product management, customer engineering, and development you can't get much closer than, than how we're organized right now. And that's new. That's been for the last five or so months. And that's on purpose. Um, we did that one because I, I, I know the gaming market. So I'm able to help out here when it comes to gaming market stuff, but also because we're getting very technical in these tech, in these launches and the, the, the technical knowledge uh, and the authenticity behind the things that we're, we're launching there's a standard that people expect from AMD and they expect it to be different than what they see from other companies that are out there. And in order for us to deliver that, we have to organize ourselves differently in order to be able to deliver that. We have to be closer to the product teams. We have to be sitting in their roadmap planning meetings. And we do that. We have to help influence their roadmap planning. So, I mean, there are, there's a lot of meetings and discussions where we're saying, hey, this is maybe 
what we should be doing two, three, four years from now. Not that because this is how we know customers are going to respond to this. And these are the sensitive points from customers regarding these things. Um, and we're able to participate in that dialogue where when you're a separate, more traditional marketing organization, it's a lot harder to be integrated into that. So those are the inner workings right now, I would tell you, is we're, we're, we're evolving into more of a product marketing type of function than a traditional um, broad reach marketing function. Um, we've come to the, you know, the, the agreement that we're not going to spend our way to the top. We're going to earn our way to the top. And I think that's very different. From some of our competitors, we're not going to spend a billion dollars on Olympics commercials and other things like that. We can't afford to do it. And beyond that, we're not entirely sure that that's the most effective way to spend to, to earn business that's out there. Um, like I said earlier, our strategy is really to focus on our advocates and our most loyal customers and fans and ask them to help tell our story for us because we don't have really any other choice. And by doing right by them, we think it'll motivate them to help tell that story for us. So when it comes to that type of strategy, you, uh, you, we've organized ourselves to try and support that strategy. And that's how, we're, that's how we're set up. There's a lot I could talk about there. So I'm just trying to give like a general overview of well, I'm sure. the marketing function. I'm sure. Uh, if there's a misspelling in a video... Um, that has only been my fault for the last five months. Okay. <laughs> so don't judge me for anything before that. <laughs> uh, one, one more fun one from, uh, Kyle Tanglau, uh, since working at Alienware, I feel like you are a part of the founding fathers of RGB in computer design. Are oh, you still God. passionate about RGB being in components? Oh man. That's... <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. God. The answer is yes. This is who asked that question? Uh, Kyle, Kyle Tanglau. Kyle Bennett? No, oh, no. Yes. <laughs> Probably Kyle Bennett, the all-time hater of RGB everything. He, he does show um, up in the chat from time to time, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love RGB, man. I love RGB. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he once smacked me over the head for RGB. So, um, <laughs> look, I, the whole RGB thing happened because I went to QuakeCon, actually, I can't tell you how far, oh my God, this is 2002, maybe 2001, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I went to QuakeCon and I, I love walking the, uh, the land areas of uh, QuakeCon and you just get to see everybody's rig. And I realized back then that, man, this is a, an area of inspiration for me. Like this is where I can gain ideas for products. Um, and by the way, one of the ideas, the way we came up with the gaming notebook idea was watching everybody lug all their crap around on dollies, 70 pound monitors and full tower desktops. We said there has to be a better way. <laughs> um, but I started seeing RGBs and RGB fans starting to emerge in DIY chassis out there. And then we put them into our original Predator case. And we had the first way we started was we actually stocked red, green and blue fans. And on the configurator, you would select, I want red fans. I want green fans. I want blue fans. It was one color. They weren't RGB. They were just R or G. <laughs> and then we found somebody who made us uh, fans with a dip switch. So you had a hardware dip switch so you could do R, G, or B. And then we thought to ourselves, well, what if we actually made a software programmable? And we created this thing. I forgot what the hell it was called. Uh, but we were actually, we designed it in-house and we were soldering the components in-house onto the board <laughs> that we had uh we had ordered already uh laid out and we were making them in this little lab at alienware and then that became the elc the electronic light controller that's what it was called um 
and then we had a, a horrible command center interface to be able to change the color into like five or 10 colors, something like that. And then that got more advanced and actually Dell um, trying to one up us created light effects, which was a software controlled experience. And, uh, and then, then they interacted games. We had some games that worked with light effects. And then when they acquired us, we changed it to Alienware effects. And now I think Alienware has like over 150 games that interact with the lighting. Long as hell explanation to <laughs> tell you this. If you look at the latest Alienware designs, the lighting is it's a little bit more subdued. We, when we moved into the Tron lighting, instead of lighting coming out of the gill, the, the, the air vents, and um, lighting everywhere you know even the alienware under the under the lcd that used to be illuminated if you remember and that's no longer illuminated so we've even been scaling it back we before i left um to make it more artistic instead of just lights everywhere just put as much freaking rgb as you can Mm -hmm. in the product so i think to answer your question if done tastefully it looks great the hard part is there's not a lot of tasteful implementations of it and that's why i think people are anti-RGB LED for some reason. But I think it can be done well, and I think we did do it well at Alienware. Well, it, it sounds like you might know this. Is it, can you confirm that more RGB gives you higher frame rates? Uh, of you, course. You, okay, okay. I just want to double check. It depends check. what color you use, Yeah. yeah. right? <laughs> the blue is green. If it interacts with the game, you get a boost of frame, <laughs> frame rate. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. You know, it is like... It's, I, sorry, I do have a quick follow-up question, because, I mean, we've gone through... You know, I call it style because we went through the phase, Frank, you remember, it was, there was no style in the beginning. It was just different, you know, you had silver motherboards and a, you know, in a, in a blue case and now, and then it went to all black. I remember the all black phase. It was like, everything had to be black motherboard, no no colors at all. And then we went to red and black and the LED. Are are we seeing sort of a sea change? Because now it's like, hey, I I want my gaming PC to be tasteful. I I don't want to look like a liquor store anymore, right? So that's yeah. We moving away from RGB finally. Is there a new style that you possibly foresee? Absolutely. So if you look at the evolution of the of gaming PCs over time, you kind of stated some of the high points there. Um, If you even look at the G14 from ASUS without the flashy. LCD back panel, because there is a version of it that doesn't have the LED back panel that illuminates. It's very subtle. It looks like a, a notebook you could take anywhere and integrate into anything. There is no major RGB. Turn the keyboard white and, and it's, it looks, I don't know, it looks you know, very similar to a $800 regular kind of notebook that's out there. Um, when you look at uh, uh, some of the other notebook designs that have come out, even some of the stuff we did most recently um, in Dell G series, they were kind of toned down a little bit too. And what we found is, I can't use that word, um, but <laughs> there are gamers that are proud, okay? And then there's what we used to call, I will say the word, but this is going to get me in trouble, closet Elf? gamer. No, closet <laughs> oh, okay. Got where it. I, they don't want to admit they're a gamer. They don't want anyone to know that they're a gamer, but they're gaming. You know, they're playing a game and they won't even admit that. No, I'm not a gamer. I don't play games 16 hours a week. I only play an hour a day. Dude, you're a gamer. (laughs) I mean, but they don't want to be branded that. And game, they wanted a gaming PC. And this is a large population, believe it or not. They want a gaming PC that they can go to school and work with, but they don't want to be identified as a gaming nerd, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
there was a pretty, there is an increasing demand for subtle high performance laptops that are fully gaming capable, but aren't necessarily designed for gaming as we used to refer to it. And what really taught us this lesson was the XPS 15. So the XPS 15 had NVIDIA discrete graphics in it forever. And we at one point were like, Hey, maybe we can reduce the cost of this product. If we don't put the discrete graphics inside of it, we could also make it thinner. We can make it lighter. We can give it better battery life. Who doesn't want a thinner, lighter, better battery life XPS 15. So you start looking at all the research and everything. And we conducted research and we learned that a large population of XPS 15 customers were playing games on their systems. We had no idea. You would never (laughs) guess. And believe it or not, that was a huge influence into Max Q and then in like gaming notebooks and what we have here today. Um, I, I can remember when NVIDIA bought like a thousand XPS 15s to give them to their employees because they were mm-hmm. such a huge fan of that product. Now they had a bunch <laughs> of technical issues they'll tell you, but that's a whole other story for a whole other day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, um, I think you're, there's a lot of gaming systems that are out there that you guys may not realize are gaming systems that are non-RGB gaming systems. And if you really want the simplest way, like ultimately we came to the conclusion in my prior life that if you have a graphics card inside of a computer, you're playing games on it by and large Mm -hmm. with some exception. Mm -hmm. It was some, yeah, some guys are doing rendering on it, but that's very small. That's very, very small. It's a very small part of the market by and large. Why the heck would you buy a thicker notebook that has less battery life, that costs more money, and that is heavier and has a bigger power supply? All of that is required to support a discrete graphics card. Why would you make all of those compromises, regardless of what the device looked like, if you weren't playing a game on it? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. So every notebook you see out there, most likely, not 100%, but most of the game of the discrete graphics powered notebooks that are out there, regardless of RGB lights, silver, black, white, um, you know, what brand they have on them, how much, what their Z height is, any of that, whether they're marketed to gamers or not, the vast majority of them, if they have a discrete graphics card, they were purchased because they intend to play games on them and some capacity. Ultimately, that's what we trend, what we decided on. So when you look at how many gaming, how many gaming compatible notebooks there are out there that aren't, RGB illuminated, it's a, it's a high number actually. And I think the market <laughs> has shown that there's demand for that. And people do want gaming capable products that aren't flashy. Sleeper VCs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's, that's sleepers. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm trying to think of, I think where we've gone really overboard on RGBs are on peripherals. Like that yeah. has gone nuts. Like, I don't know. Why do I need, I don't have them on my Astros here, but why do I need RGB lights on the, on the headset? You can never have enough RGB. Oh, I've got it on the microphone. (laughs) The mic's different though. I feel like the mic tells you you're recording. It's like a recording symbol, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. like, I I don't, I can't even Mm -hmm. see it. I just had to check. I've had these for years. I didn't even know I had to look. (laughs) (laughs) And the keyboards now, man, they're so bright. That if you're trying to play in a dark room, your face is like red or blue or whatever it's illuminated with. I think yeah. we've gone a little bit overboard there. But um, the Alienware designs, we got a little bit more tasteful. All the pinstriping and all that stuff, it looked a lot more elegant. 
I'm looking for the next breakthrough in RGB myself. So I think mini LEDs like, uh, you know, Corsair Capellix is integrated more and more of those into computer. We're going to be pretty awesome. So here's what I want. I, 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 want, I want more, Frank. I want I'm going to give you, I'm going to give something away for everybody who's paying attention. There is a technology out there that is a color changing paint. And based on the, either the voltage or the amperage or something that you apply to it, the paint will change colors. The paint, not lighting, the whole damn surface will change colors. We looked at it a few years ago. The problem is, is that it had a very short half-life, shorter than the average, than the, the PC purchase uh, life. So you would eventually lose the ability to change its color. I think it was a three-year half-life. But, man, I wanted that. That yeah. would have been, like, so <laughs> freaking cool. I'm not talking about those chameleon paint jobs. We did those a long time ago at Alienware that are those color changing based, based on the light as the way you look mm-hmm. at it. No, this is, like, apply five volts, and it's green. Apply mm-hmm. seven volts, and it's red. And that was – that we abandoned it a while ago because of the half-life. But I wonder if they've resolved that. I haven't looked into it since then. That's no. the next RGB. I'm sending the <laughs> first one to Kyle. Or maybe the whole maybe the whole case can just kind of glow iridescent on its own, you know. Like, a, maybe that's and that's probably you, you get parts hard enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, well, why don't All you right. uh, take us out, Gordon? We we've been going for a while. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I know. Thank you, Frank, for uh, staying over. Absolutely. We've made Frank late for his his next meeting. Sorry about that. That's but right. it's just good a hot stuff. hardware, guys. <laughs> yeah. no, we'll, we'll keep here for now yeah we'll keep him until he can appear on their show but check back next week for your fix of pc talk on the full nerd for audio listeners subscribe to us on itunes google play spotify or stitcher saying questions and comments oh my phone just tried to interrupt me saying <laughs> questions and comments to the full nerd at pcworld.com and also please leave a review every time you do we add more rgb to a pc <laughs> thanks for coming i'm gordon Ung with brad charkas adios y'all thanks guys very special guest, Frank Azor. Hey, he said bye. And Adam Patrick Murray's going to hit the off switch. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so much good to talk in the chat. We really appreciate it. And thank you again, Frank, for coming on. Mm-hmm.